Hey everyone, welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. For episode number 57, my guest this week is Tom Sharpling. Tom Sharpling is an American comedian, TV writer, producer, director, and most importantly, a radio and podcast host. Sharpling is known throughout the internet world as hosting the best show on WFMU, which is a free-flowing comedy radio dial-in show that he started back in 2000. Outside of being the host of the best show, Tom has had his writing published in GQ, New York Magazine, and directed videos for musicians like Amy Mann and bands like The New Pornographers. In 2014, Tom and his crew relaunched The Best Show. Keeping it independent, they broadcast the show live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, and the podcast goes up the next day on Wednesday. The show started originally 18 years ago, as Super Chunks drummer John Worcester called up his buddy Tom Sharpling on Tom's radio show on WFMU back in New Jersey. John pretended to be the musical critic named Ronald Thomas Clontal, and Clontal had written a book called Rock, Rot, and Rule, The Ultimate Argument Settler. For that show, Tom and his buddy John went back and forth discussing what kind of music acts rocked, rotted, or ruled. I'll play you a clip right now. Uh, do I have Ronald Clontal on the line? Hello. Hello, is this Mr. Clontal? Yes, it is. Okay, uh, welcome to WFMU. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right. Uh, you have a new book out, which is called Rock, Rot, and Rule, yes. which, which seems to be getting a lot of attention in, in uh, the music press. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I missed what you just said. I've, I, I have to apologize. I'm watching this um, basketball game, uh, Orlando and Cleveland, and i got a lot of money riding on it, and it's... It's not going my way. Um, Wilkins just got hurt. Um, uh, anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. So you have a uh, th- this book you have written, Rock, Rotten Rule. Yes, yeah. Which is getting a lot of attention. A lot. It's like, would you call it a controversial book? Sure, sure. It, yeah, it is. It's very controversial. A lot of people do not like what's in this book. Mm-hmm. Now, well, what is the book about? Well, it's basically uh, it's the ultimate argument settler. Okay. We, um, can you can you go into that a little bit more in, in some more depth? Well, the idea for the book came to me when I was sitting uh, in my living room with my three roommates watching MTV. And, um, you know, everyone was putting in their two cents worth as to whether they thought something was good or not. And uh, It Smells Like Team Spirit by Nirvana came on. Mm-hmm. Which song was that? Uh, it Smells Like Team Spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really just perplexed and intrigued by the, the difference of opinions that were happening at that time. And, uh, you know, some, some said, oh, no, this, this rules. Some said it rocks. Some said it, I don't know if I can say this word on the air. Um, can I say sucks? Yeah, yeah, you can. Some people said that. So, they were, you know, every, everyone, was, everyone had a different opinion. Mm-hmm. So I I just had the idea of putting a book together that would be sort of the ultimate argument settler. In a lot of ways, the best show paved the way for podcasts like WTF, hosted by Mark Maron, and Chris Hartwick's Nerdist, and a lot of other famous, well-known comedy podcasts. Without further ado, here's Tom Sharpling. This is Ryan Williams. So glad you're here this week. My guest is Tom Sharpling. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And to give people an introduction to you, you are, in my mind, an old school – you're the uh, 
on the Mount Rushmore of podcasting, especially in the comedy world. And I don't say that lightly because a lot of the podcasting industry now in the comedy space is definitely, you know, they're, they, they mention you as an inspiration and you were doing podcasting back on public radio on the web and the archives are still out there. And now you've recently launched a podcast. Uh, you also have a greatest hits that you just launched from all your past episodes. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I used to freestyle rap back when I was in high school with my buddy, and I outed myself on the podcast talking about that. Do you have any uh, talents that are hidden that led you that you think are making you a good podcaster that you you cultivated as a young kid? Um. Well, I I, I would say just listening to a lot of uh, comedy and being a huge comedy fan from as early as I can remember. But also listening to a lot of radio and a lot of talk radio, uh, the, those two things, I think, kind of uh, intersected as, as a way for me to realize that I'm interested in this type of uh, this type of entertainment. But I'm also interested in this medium as a as a means to kind of express myself. So I had started doing a music based show on WFMU, which is the station, uh, non-listener-sponsored, uh, uh, non-commercial station that I got my start on. And um, that show grew into becoming a, uh, a, a comedy show over time. And what was some of the talk radio that you listened to? Oh, I, I listened to a lot of... Uh, I would listen to, like, Howard Stern and... A lot of stuff on uh, WABC in New York, which even though it wasn't where I was at in terms of my views, uh, there would be guys like Bob Grant who were just just not good people uh, in terms of their uh, worldview, but uh, he was a, a great broadcaster and could really just hold everyone's attention whether you agreed with him or not he was just really compelling and funny and so things like that influenced me in one way or another it all adds up and what were you doing before you started the show was your uh were you working in radio or was did you have a separate type of job that wasn't oh, yeah, I, I was. Uh, I've never gotten paid for for radio stuff. I didn't come up in the traditional uh, way at all with it. WFMU is is a station that really is about people doing things for the love of doing it. <clears throat> so you would get uh, people would have a show once a week, and they would do whatever they wanted with it because it's a free form station. So. You're, you're getting good at expressing yourself creatively on that station. Um, but it really isn't like being in radio in the traditional sense. So I was doing that, but I was working full time at regular jobs, retail jobs, and just kind of trying to figure out my future, but doing this radio thing at the same time. Yeah. I found it, you know, recently you, you had some greatest hits on the podcast from back in the day. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's funny, the, some of these calls that you had where people like when your uh, Worcester, your partner would call in and, uh, and go off 
on these funny stories, like posing as people and and characters. And so for those people that haven't listened to the show, namely my mom who listens uh-huh. to, to the podcast, could you just describe the format of the show? Yeah, it's ba- it basically it's a, a show that's about three hours long, and we do it once a week on Tuesday nights, and we actually do it. It's a little different than a podcast in, in the in the traditional sense, I guess, for whatever that means for podcasts now, is that we do it. It starts off as a live show on the internet that you can listen to it live as it's happening, and we have we take calls, and you can call in. So it's very interactive and, and it's like traditional radio when it's happening, but it's just not being broadcast over terrestrial radio. Um, so that's, that's the first version of the show is, is Tuesday nights, uh, us doing it live. And on that show, it's me taking calls and, um, John Worcester, who, who is my partner, uh, we do these, these, routines or whatever you want to call them where he calls in as a variety of different characters and uh those are those are kind of written pieces and then there's these uh unscripted things with phone calls coming in and who who knows what people are going to say and then we take that show and then that show is put up as a podcast on the the following day so then it becomes more of a traditional podcast and then the the one I recently listened to was an episode where, uh, from a few years back, that Sully, who was the uh, pilot who landed the plane in the Hudson miraculously five six years ago, Sully Sully Sullenberger, and you and John talked for you know twenty minutes where he was playing out this role of Sully and. You know, for those that haven't heard it, it's hilarious. I'll link to it in the uh, in the description. But you guys have this great improvisational game where you're the straight man, and he goes off on these tangents, and you're trying to figure out the the truth of the story here. And he's he's going along with it, making up on the fly. Like, how how did you and John start working together, and how <laughs> how did you guys come up with the concept of him calling in as a listener? I, I've known John at this point for over 20 years, I guess. And I, I met him through uh, a band that he was drumming in, Super Chunk, who I was a fan of. And then he became their new drummer. And I, I was, I, I was introduced to him and, uh, through Mac, the, the lead singer. And, um, oh, nice. Actually, I used to work, uh, Mac's wife, they, I think they have a restaurant down in in Chapel sure. Hill. Yeah, um, Lantern. That's right, Lantern. So I used to work with uh, Mac's wife's mom, Kathy Rusing. Oh wow! So I I met Mac. This is back when I lived in D.C. So okay. I, I met Mac way back, way back when. Sure. No, that, that, that's uh, Andrea. That's right. Yeah, Andrea. Exactly. Hmm. So yeah, so I've I've known him for forever and he introduced me to the new drummer and we hit it off talking about comedy that we were interested in and and uh then I was doing this radio show and slowly but surely it was like we 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 were we were friends and it's kind of like we were looking for that thing that we could do together in some way to express ourselves 
and we came up with the idea of him calling in as a as a author of a book and being uh ridiculous and we tried it and it worked and then uh we kept doing it and then here we are almost 20 years later and for the the show you said you you mentioned this was more of a labor of love or you alluded to the fact that you know you weren't getting paid a lot of money for doing the show if if any at all Oh yeah, there's no there's no money. WFMU is listener sponsored, and it's a volunteer uh, driven station. And that's the that's the point of the station is that people come and they get to do whatever they want on the air, but it's not for for pay. So it's totally a labor of love. Um, for 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 us, it just got to the point where the show was growing and growing and growing and there's just a point where it was almost becoming a full-time job and there was no chance of monetizing it in any form. So we had to figure out what to do either to stop doing it altogether or to figure out a new platform to do it on. And how many years were you doing it on public radio? We did 13 years at WFMU. I had done a few years prior of just the music show then we called it the best show in 2000 and did that from 2000 to 2013. Okay. And then now you you made the leap. I, you took some time off and it's officially, you mentioned you tape it live and then you have the podcast that comes out. Mm-hmm. Uh, how has the jump, has it been so far? Because you were featured, you were on like a top podcast in iTunes right off the gate. And you obviously had this listener base that traveled with you to listen to the podcast. Was it was it easy to transition and bring your audience alongside with you, or do you feel like you had to start over? I, there's definitely an element of starting over with it. it. It's it's anytime you relaunch something, the the people who are on board that that are are. Hardcore fans, they, they knew everything that was going on every step of the way and they were up to speed on what we were doing. It's, it's more a matter of those casual listeners who maybe would listen to the show because it was on WFMU or then, then it's suddenly not there. And then when it's gone, they think it's gone and they aren't paying attention to social media or, or whatever. Maybe they're not on Twitter or to know about these things and to see that it's back. So it's a matter of letting those people know the show is back and kind of getting it into their lives again to where it's a weekly thing once again. And it's one of the challenges has been that the show is not a part of any network or, or organization. It's really a self standing entity now. And, so there's not that kind of cross promotion that can go on with other things for other for shows that are on say public radio or podcast networks. We we don't get that. So it's it's really a matter of building it up uh to make sure everybody's back on board. And it's it's a week it's a week by week thing and it's definitely going in the right direction, but it's it's something that still has to be done. So what's your What's your longer term vision with it? Is it to keep growing and then, you know, see how it turns out? 
because you could keep doing this for years and you've already been doing it for years. Pretty much. I would say to me, getting the thing back on its feet and pretty much building a studio and getting the infrastructure in place and getting the people in place to help pull that off. And the people are just that have been helping are just uh, phenomenal. It's uh, uh, Brendan McDonald, who is uh, he's been advising with so many things. He's he does. Uh, he's Mark Marin's partner on WTF. He's been helping so much. Jason Gore is a, a guy who helped build the studio and is just a just brilliant in so many ways. And uh, my friend who I've been working with for a long time, Marsha Newmeyer, helps with web stuff. And so we've just had so many, so many people really giving their time and, and talent. And there's a bunch more Pat Byrne and uh, Jeff Owens. So yeah, I just, we've, we've got a great group of people that's helping that helped get it on its feet. Now I just want to see where it can go. There is no finish line in sight at all. It's like, let's just, now this is a, 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 a like a tool or a toy or, or whatever you want to see what you can get out of it like a new car or something just to see how fast it can go is what we're going to do now. Right. Cause podcasting is very hard to monetize unless you're an, a, a one percenter and you've got really, I mean, even if you have 50,000 downloads an episode, you, you're not quitting your day job to do podcasting, especially if you have a team of people behind you. Yeah. It's, it, you've got a, there's a there's a part of it that is really down to just no stone can be unturned and you kind of can't leave any anything on the table just really every you got to um, every every possible avenue is going to have to be maximized and to to figure out what we can get out of everything in terms of making this thing uh feasible financially what's your what's your day job now do you still have one or are you going all in on this i i well the thing is i i am a i'm a writer and i write for tv and different things and but i've pretty much spent the last year i checked out so that i could get this show back and then we put Mm -hmm. a giant box set together of uh of the the best of everything that John Worcester and I did, uh, a label called uh, Numero Group just released that. It's this giant box set. It's 16 CDs. It's got a hardcover book. It's 100 pages long and all these other things in there. It's like it's this enormous uh, summation of everything that John and I've done. So getting putting that together took months of last year. So I really checked out and did not work much at all. I passed on a lot of jobs so that I could see these things through. And now I have to uh, pretty much go get a job because I can't do that forever. We're in similar boats. I uh, I worked in marketing at startups for seven eight years based in Los Angeles, and uh, I quit working for other people about, I don't know, 18 months ago. I had a daughter as well. Reframe my life. I started the podcast, writing a book. I consult. 
Mm-hmm. But, but now it's go time for my business. So actually, I've worked as I'm. I'm opening up a, a boutique agency for podcasters because I feel like I went to South by Southwest this year and it's really hard to monetize podcasts. And I, I was so surprised the amount of podcasters that had day jobs that they hated. And they were doing these projects as a labor of love. And for me, YouTube creators four or five years ago are now seeing the fruits of their labor that are successful and they came out of nowhere. And I think podcasters are on the cusp of that. And there's been obviously some big breakouts, like you mentioned, Mark Marin, Chris Hartwick, Nerdist, you know, BS Report with Bill Simmons. But I feel like there's a whole other class of creators that's going to gonna emerge. And for you, you have this built-in following that's already there. So you're, you're so far ahead of everyone else. Well, I, I honestly want to just do the show is, is the beginning, middle and end of why I want to do this. And I just want it to be financially to just bring something back. And I have no problem. I, I like the kind of day job work I do getting to write for TV and direct, uh, commercials and do these other things it's like i'm i'm happy doing that stuff and i feel like the show is a compliment to that stuff and that stuff is a compliment yeah. to the show and they're definitely within the same i'm i'm happy with those being the show plus these other things equaling my career i'm fine with that i'm not in in an office hating what i do uh, and if, if I was, I would definitely want to see how to get out of that. But thankfully I'm not. So I, uh, to me, it comes down to just doing the show, making the show as great as it can be and expanding it as much as I can expand it and getting it in front of as many people and the rest of the stuff kind of, you just have to assume or hope that if you do a great job, that one way or another, the something will show up to make it so it works. It's just like that leap you have to take with it. So it just people want to hear the show. It's not like I'm doing it and there's two and nobody likes it and people are telling me to stop. It's no people like this and they want more of it. So I'm gonna just see how far we can push this thing and see what that means and whatever shows up money wise or doesn't show up we'll find out but none of that matters if the show isn't the best version of the show it can be so what what type of what type of tv shows do you write on um i i wrote on the the longest job i had was writing on the the show monk i wrote for eight years on that um so I did that, and then I've written on a bunch of other things for the last five years. A lot of stuff that development and never, uh, never went the distance. But that's uh, they still pay you for that. So um, was you writing for TV? Was that why? Because you had a lot of comedians on the show back in the day, and you still do. Was that one of the reasons why you could you met comics was through TV writing? You know, not really. I would say I met them more through the show and, and, and comedians finding out about the show and liking what it was and coming on board that way. It's, it's a strange thing. The, the TV show writing, the TV writing doesn't get me a whole lot of 
that stuff. Um, but it does. It, but I, I would say, on on the whole, all the comedians I've had on have come, have entered my life through the show, knowing what the radio show is. And how how do they discover it? it? That's the great part about it being online is that clips get sent around and people hear things and people tell other people to listen to things and word of mouth really, really matters. And that's the kind of thing that, that just grows on its own. It just becomes a very organic thing. And look, I'm, I'm taking the, the, the scenic route on all this stuff. I've been doing this for so long with no, no thought of how to, how much money I could make from it because the show was on a station where there was no chance to make money on it for the longest time. So that gave me a chance to just grow this thing quality wise and audience wise. And then now that's the show that is being put out as a, as a commercial show. Now it's not like we're starting at square one in terms of the, the, the content or the, or, or where I'm at host wise or, or comedy wise, I'm, I'm up to speed on that part. So that's a, that's a good side of it is that, the show really kind of got to get as strong as possible um, when 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 there wasn't uh, money at stake. And now the show, when there, I guess you would say there's money at stake. the The best version of the show is what's is is now on the marketplace. How do you describe your audience? I mean, because they're they're very interactive with you. Yeah, it's it's the audience is as varied as can be. It's it's people all over the country and all over the world and all walks of life, a, a lot of really creative people, a lot of people in bands, a lot of writers, a lot of uh a lot of uh, uh cartoonists and artists, people who I can't tell you the amount of times that an artist has said I listen to your show while I'm working in my studio. I'll just listen to two episodes while I'm painting or drawing. And it's just the perfect thing to have on while I'm doing that. Cause it's there's, it's they're hearing like the creativity of things and it makes them feel good. And that, that's a great feeling that the show would contribute to somebody feeling inspired and People will send in these drawings that they've done from the show and paintings they've done just completely unsolicited and unprompted. And they're just the most amazing things you've ever seen because that's what the show means to those people. So it's, it, we really do get a, a high percentage of talented people, which I'm really impressed by. The show's also great for bands and that's one of that's one of the ways that it started was that the the first bits that John and I were doing the Sharpling and Worcester stuff we um we would we would put them on CDs and give them out pretty much but we'd give them out and bands would get them and they would trade the things and and just drop cuz they were in a van for 5 hours a day driving from city to city and they would listen to this stuff and 
it really grew in that regard through a lot of uh, music. A lot of lot of lot of bands would would just listen to the stuff over and over because it's a it's, you know John will say it best is that because John is a working musician. He's like when you're in that van, you, you're playing rock music all night. The last thing you want to hear in the van is more rock music. So you listen to something <laughs> like it's you hear a comedy and it's like oh this is great, <laughs> right? Yeah, and I never thought of it like that, but it makes perfect sense. Yes. <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, I was, uh, I think we need to wrap it up. And, uh, I was just, Jacob just sent me an email. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. Actually, I think what I'm going to do is play some clips at the beginning of this episode to give people some perspective because your show, you really have to listen to, to get it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. The show is like an, it's not the kind of thing that you get on board with the first time you hear it. You have to give it a little bit of a chance to get to catch the rhythms of it and to and to see what's going on with it. That's why we do those best of things. There's we now the new podcast is called Best Show Bests and it's these clips that are greatest hits short things cuz it, it it's hard to tell somebody, "Oh, I like this thing. It's 3 hours long. Go listen to it." It's like that's a that's a big chunk to to have to uh digest right off the bat so we have these shorter uh bite-sized best of shows that work as an introduction yeah it, it it it's a that's one of the other challenges but once people are in they they it seems like they're really in and they're yeah. they're, they're totally hooked so i've always loved that part of it it's just like it's not like showing the the cosby show or something like that that Oh, it's for it's made for everybody. It's like no, this isn't made for everybody. But if it's made, if it if it's for you, then it's totally for you, right? right? Absolutely, and people can check out the box set, which is all the old archives. Help support the cause. Yeah, keep you doing this. Thank you. So, so I we'll think get uh, through this. you'll get through it. I'll get through yeah. it. Yeah. No, I can't wait to talk again in six months and see how much we've got, we've done. This is yeah. I'll be selling you my equipment. Yeah, it's autographed.
No, it's, I'll be selling a bit of a bargain basement sale. I'll be like, how much you want? <laughs> the going out of business sale. Yeah, give me 30 bucks. I'll give you this, uh, this, this, uh, mixing board. 29.50. That's my final offer. Okay. Fine. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, be- the best show.net. Is that the website? That's right. Okay. Cool. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. I really do appreciate yeah, it. No, this is.